Evil to the right hand, puts her down, he's gonna jump him hard to the ice. Brady Leopold just loves to fight. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Warrior. My dream of being a professional hockey player became a reality, but it was all taken away from me in a very short period of time. For many years, hockey was my outlet. Hockey was my drug. When I had a stick in my hand, nothing else mattered. I was able to break into the Western Hockey League in 2004, and I even won the Swift Current Broncos Rookie of the Year. During the summer of my rookie year, I experimented with drugs for the first time. After just seven games in my sophomore season, I walked away from the Swift Current Broncos due to personal reasons. Nobody knew I had been sexually abused at the age of five, I did everything to hide it from everybody, but I just couldn't take it. Drugs and alcohol now took over my life. I did return to the Swift Current Broncos as a 19-year-old, but things were never the same. I was eventually traded to the Kelowna Rockets in my final year of junior, where I got to play on a line with the Dallas Stars captain, Jamie Benn, and one of my best friends, the extremely talented Colin Long. It was by far my best season ever, and I even signed with the Tampa Bay Lightning's organization. A dream come true, right? That's when everything went wrong. First it was the cocaine, then came the Oxycontin, and that led me into a 12-year journey into the deepest pits of hell. Within two years, I had now made the switch to heroin, fentanyl, and everything in between, and I was now an intravenous drug user. Multiple suicide attempts and over five trips to the psych ward, I was a shadow of who I once was. By 2014, I was homeless on Hastings in Vancouver, the worst street in North America. By 2015, I was a wanted criminal, making the Crime Stopper headlines more than once. After spending three years in jail, I had completely given up. With nowhere to turn and nowhere to go, I finally started to get honest. I took a chance and made some major changes. This is my story. I overdosed over 10 times. I'm one of the lucky ones. And for that, I will always be grateful. This is for all the men and women we've lost. Matthew Wazinski, Mitch Fadden, this one's for you. My name's Brady Lebel, and I've been to hell and back. This is the road to recovery. What is going on? Welcome. That's Chad Campbell, Hockey to Hell and Back, available on Spotify. Shout out, Chad. Three years ago, I'm in a jail cell. Now I can listen to a song about my life. That's the power of recovery, people. And I'll tell you, if you're here for the first time, welcome. If you're a repeat customer, thank you. Welcome back. This is where I got my life back. This is where it all started. And uh, pretty emotional tonight. Not going to get into why. But I got a really cool message from my son Brody out in Vancouver. And uh, yeah, you know, I've shared this story a little bit. My buddy Bo Horvat 
really helped bridge that gap for for my relationship with my son. And yeah, I'll talk a little bit more about it at the end of the show. I wasn't going to, but I'm just like kind of like I'm like shaking because of the message I got, and it's a, it's just a fantastic message. So just sit here and think about uh, the power of recovery and and that it all started here. And I just owe everybody such such a big thank you for giving me the opportunity to share my voice and for for everybody to not turn their back on me uh, when when they easily could have. They could have been like, who is this nut? And I think a lot of people did. Maybe it was even intriguing at times. Uh, but at the end of the day, people gave me basically nothing but love and support. And and for that, I will be forever grateful. And it's something that you know I'll just never, ever forget. And it, it helps me get out of bed every single day every single day knowing that you know the people lifted me up when i when i decided that i needed a hand up and and now i'm in a position to be be able to do that for others so it, it's just uh you know it it's never lost on me and i know i say this every show but or almost every show but it's you know just thank you um but without further ado uh we're, let's get right into the show i'm so pumped on this and before a little backstory uh the book fighter defying the NHL odds came out, I think October 25th might've been the 24th and you know, it hit the press and my dad right away was like, Hey, I'm getting you this book. I'm sending it to you. Still hasn't arrived. I told Aaron, I haven't read this book yet, but I've watched a ton of interviews and I feel like I know a little bit about a story, but I'm excited to hear more. But my dad, the retired firefighter, 35 year firefighter did a lot of work with the burn fund. I try to get the exact details, but I know Eight nights, hose reel, cab suspension, bridge golf tournaments. My dad was the vice president of the BC Professional Firefighters Association and obviously did a lot of work with the Burn Fund. I know Stuart Smith, who is the chairman of the board for the Puck Support nonprofit, also still doing a ton of work with the Burn Fund. Uh, but this book hit the press. My dad's like, you got to read this. We got to hear this story. Aaron Volpatti, I had no idea. Grew up, you know, my young 20s, 2011 Stanley Cup final, he was part of that team. He'll tell you he wasn't a big part of that team, but hell, he was a part of that team. And you know, I never knew. I didn't really know the story. And I'm so glad that he's found his his way in, in sharing a story. And what really hit home for me uh, doing my research and watching things is that he wanted to do this to help other people. Not only was, you know, I don't want to sh share his story, but he went through something really tough. And you're going to hear it. And he still made it to the NHL. And now he's sharing his stories on a book tour. I can't wait to read it. But 40% of the profits are going back to the BC uh, Professional Firefighters Burn Fund, which is incredible. And I've been there. I've been with my dad where there's been several burn victims there. And, you know, I, I, I was younger then. And I, I'm trying to sit here and reflect of, you know, what, it, what it's like to go through something like that. You know, not just the immediate effects and the recovery, but the long-term effects. And the fact that Aaron stood up and he wants to share his story to help others. I know there's so many people that he's already helped and is going to continue to help. So I'm just extremely honored to have him here. Without further ado, the pride of Revelstoke, British Columbia, former Vernon Viper, Vancouver Canuck, Washington Capital. Aaron Volpatti, what's up, buddy? What's up, Brady? Thanks, man. Thanks for having me on. I'm super pumped to be here, dude. Yeah, dude. Like, I wish we were kind of uh, recording a little bit before we went on there. <laughs> but we'll leave that. Um, thanks so much for making the time, dude. You've been busy. You've been everywhere promoting this book, uh, Fighter. And, you know, I want to hear all about it. And I think a, a really good place to start. And everyone, too, just, 
you know, there's going to be links to, to how to get this book and everything. If you're listening and you want to jump ahead, not right now, if you're watching live, but listening audio, the links are there where get your copy of this today. Tell us why now, Aaron, why, why did you decide to start sharing your story now? Yeah, I think, I think that's where you and I probably have uh, some similar overlap. I mean, really at the end of the day, this was just about helping and empowering people. Uh, and I tell everyone, I'm like, if I can just help one person and for them to look back and, or even, you know, in the shit and going through adversity and to think, you know, if this guy can do it, then, then so can I, and they hold on for just a little bit longer and, and don't give up in that journey. Uh, yeah, that, that's really what it's all about for me. Um, it was tough. Like, you know, as, as a man and especially, uh, a hockey player, yeah. we're not taught to be, you know, vulnerable and open and, and I wasn't that. And so that was a big challenge for me when I started writing this or decided to start writing it. When was right. that, Patty? Like, when, when, when did you start writing it? It wasn't long after COVID hit. Okay. So I was really struggling. Like, I mean, I, I you know, I've been through a lot in on the journey uh, to the NHL and through hockey. But I mean, my life was like as low as it gets after after the NHL. So there's two parts there, and you know, I struggled with that identity crisis after hockey, and I went through mm -hmm. a bunch of personal uh, adversity and everything just piled on and piled on and uh i was searching for the next thing and yeah covid hit and shortly after i i remember i moved into this place out here in in lake country bc and whereabouts was, tell us where you're at so right between vernon and Kelowna. in the hold Oregon. on hold on <laughs> i love I, I i love that area dude my dad yeah, uh, he, he's watching just quickly he said uh burn camp for kids that are burn survivors this is my dad he's watching he he, awesome. he did a lot of work with them but he's got a him and his uh his wife or whatever you want to call it they got a place uh on okanagan lake on the other side on west side road so many summers oh, yeah, spent yeah. up there played for the rocks i know you played for the vipers but what a beautiful place so sorry to cut you off yeah, i just yeah. had to give a shout out to lake country bc because i'm in muskoka yeah. ontario sort yeah. of the same it's like Ontario's version of it, but nothing compares to where you are living. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's on a similar level, but aesthetically, yeah, it's pretty, yeah. it's just a, just a different vibe for sure. But yeah, anyways, I, you know, I just remember going out, sitting on a bench and wondering what the hell I was going to do. And this had always been a side project and all, you know, for now people, more people know my story, uh, but no one really knew. And so for me, I was like, I just had a, a light bulb kind of moment and said, all right, it's time. I, I can, you know, at the end of the day, help people with this and, and get it out there. So, and, and yeah, like, and, and thank you for doing that. And you, you highlighted the fact that we're, you know, we're both men typically, you know, we're hearing a little bit more about it. Shout out Movember. You got a sick muzzy. They cut mine <laughs> off, dude. They cut I mine off. Oh no, I got a little work to do to compete with those handlebars there. Those are nice, but they cut mine off. It was like way bigger, but I had to do this movie and play Bobby Clark. I mean, it was pretty cool, but they, they cut it off and I'm looking at yours. Oh, and yeah, yeah. But you know, Movember and there's, there's other, uh, you know, there's a great organizations and a lot of people talking about, but typically speaking, men are still not talking about their issues. I don't even on my best days and I'm no. you know trying to advocate for it and I still struggle, but then you, you, 
you couple that with being a hockey player, especially when we played, you're a couple years older than me. It's uh, it's extremely difficult. So thank you for having the courage to share. If you don't mind, I know you've been on this tour and you keep telling and people want to read it in the book. Go read the book. But if you don't mind, um, however you much or little detail you want to uh, tell the viewers uh, exactly kind of what happened, I you know, on a hockey trip and and trying to maybe be that guy who's, you know, Hey, look at me, look at me. It's all fun and I'm invincible. I was that guy. I know a lot of guys that were like that. And, yeah. uh, and unfortunately, uh, for you, you, uh, suffered a pretty, a pretty tragic accident. It, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Hey, I'm an open book literally now. So, <laughs> uh, no, I'm happy to go, go deep, man. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess to preface it with, I was that, you know, like, like a lot of us that I, invincible, untouchable. Oh, we lost you for a sec there. Not sure what happened here. We lost, uh, we lost Aaron for a brief moment. Let's see if we can bring him back here. I think we lost him. We'll cut to a quick, oh, there he is. He's back. Oh, He's back. Tricks. Okay, sorry. I hope that does, that was my uh, internet crapping out. We're no, that's, <laughs> that's what happens, man. That's what happens when you do it live. I was about to throw it to uh, commercial. Dude. I know what I'm doing over here, but you can't. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, anyways, I was, you know, that that young kid who thought he was, you know, untouchable, like I said, and um, yeah, feeding a young ego. I was a scrapper. I got attention from girls through that, and I think I just. I'm not saying that's who I was, but that's maybe who I played. Right. Yeah. And just, again, mm -hmm. feeding that and and being that person that got got the attention and fed the ego. And uh, yeah. And so when people would say, you know, Patty jump, I was that guy. And and I would, you know, say how high and take it a step further and just do stupid shit. Right. And uh, I was a bit of a pyro. And that's where this whole journey began. So I was in Vernon in, in the BCHL. Uh, in my first year, and we had our, you know, team bender and and went partying went camping in, in the bush and i was you know making my own spin off off a maltov cocktail essentially so i would like chug a beer bottle fill it up with gas put the lid back on and set it in the fire in this little like rock nest type thing and people would get back and it would be like a flamethrower and you know everyone would cheer and i would just do that all night and clearly not smart but again that's just who I was pretending to be really in that, in that moment. So fast forward a year later in my second year, uh, we ended up losing in the finals to the Surrey Eagles. And again, my, my teammates were like, Patty, you going to do your pyro show? And I'm like, hell yeah, man. And so I'm thinking like, Hey, how can I make this bigger and better? And you know, the answer in my head was more gas. So I did the same thing, uh, chugged the beer, but out of a Colt 45 bottle, filled that up with gas, went and grabbed a wine bottle and filled it up with gas, put the lids back on. So now, and I put them in like uh, my kangaroo pouch in my sweater pocket. And so now I got a liter and a half of gas sitting in my pocket. Right. Um, and I'm walking around, I'm getting the party kind of revved up and all of a sudden I'm soaking wet. And I looked down, I'm like, what the hell happened? And the bottoms of the bottles had hit and and busted so now i got a liter and a half of gas on my torso and i'm shit-faced i've been drinking but 
you know, I know there's a fire right there and I know I have gas on myself, but I just didn't respect the dangers of the vapors and, you know, and, and the gasoline itself. And to this day, I still don't know why I decided to throw my sweater in the fire. I just remember thinking, you know, I reek of gas and maybe I didn't want to throw my sweater in the woods and leave it there. Or maybe I just said, well, screw it. I'll just light the sweater up. Um, and I, I thought I kept what I, I thought was a safe distance and, you know, gave the ground a kick and just like a detonator, detonator cord to dynamite. I just up, I went and yeah, man, I just, unfortunately, uh, my fight or flight instinct kicked in and I just bolted and I was really fast and that was, you know, <laughs> didn't serve me well yeah. in that moment. And yeah, I just bolted, man. And, and that's where the whole incident began. So my understanding of it is you're basically for, was it 40% second, third? Yeah. Yeah. So you, I mean, you're, I was a hundred percent burnt. Like okay. my face was like the, the other was just a bad first degree burn. So, um, but yeah, I ended up being 40% second, third degree burns. I mean, in the moment you don't really know, obviously I just knew I was pretty fucked up, but you don't know to what extent. Right. Um, I just remember feeling it's, it's interesting because I was in no pain when I was on fire, just that, sh that shock. Right. And, uh, yeah, I just remember being in a state of panic and running, but there was this, also this, uh, eerie calmness and, and peacefulness to the whole thing. And I mean, I think that's probably what death feels like is just, again, kind of succumbing and being, I was in no pain, like I said, and just, yeah, this, this really eerie peacefulness to the whole experience. It was, I just remember feeling very warm. I mean, I was on fire, but you know, just, uh, yeah. And, and that's when I finally got hit from behind and tackled the guys finally caught me and, and put it out. And, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I remember two things. The smell was probably the first thing, you know, it was, uh, it's hard to put into words what it smelled like. Um, I, I do it in the book obviously, but it, it just imagine like burning hair, but a million times worse. It's just, uh, it's really just foul smelling and, uh, and other people's faces. I remember I didn't really grasp the seriousness of it until I was sitting on a cooler that was full of beer, you know, an hour or two earlier, I'm ass naked. There's nothing left in my clothes. Um, you know, I, that was all burnt off. And I just remember people were either crying or they had their noses plugged, uh, whispering and, and in a lot of panic. And then I just remember looking down at my body and that's when I realized like, holy shit, like this is not good. And yeah. So from, from there, you, you were, you're up near Vernon, right? So were you airlifted down to or did you drive down? Like what, what was it right away? They get you down to Vancouver to the burn unit. Yeah. So that was the issue was we had no service, so we couldn't call nine one one. So we were about 30 ish minutes out of town, no service. And so that's, you know, people are trying to find out how the hell are we going to get this guy to a hospital? And, and again, people are, are panicking. They're like, we need to get him to a hospital. Um, like I had piles of skin you know, bubbled and piled up around my body. And I was like, it, it was pretty ugly. 
And one of the guy's girlfriends, thankfully, wasn't drinking. So we quickly, I piled in her car with, um, with her and uh, one of the, my teammates. And, you know, we were off. And about, you know, that the shock finally started wearing off about 10 minutes into that ride. And uh, I mean, fuck, I've had lots of surgeries. I've had probably hundreds of stitches in my face. And nothing even holds a candle to that car ride in terms of pain. Uh, it was it was pretty crazy. Um, I was blacking out. It was so bad. And, uh, yeah, finally made it to the hospital and got airlifted to Vancouver. I mean, once I ran in the hospital, you remember, I don't need, this is at one or two in the morning. I'm like, imagine the emergency room, you know, at whatever time in the morning, you got a few people in there and in comes this naked, bleeding, burnt. He's, you know, super dirty guy that, is screaming at the top of his lungs. And so they must have hit me with something. And then I I didn't remember after that, but woke up in Vancouver. So yeah, I got airlifted, I think two or three hours after that. And after they got me stable and settled, I was off to Vancouver. So you you wake I can't man, I can't even imagine, dude. Like I, I'm think I'm trying to to sit here and think about what kind of you know headspace you'd be in and and waking up and you know you're you're, to remember too, uh, you know, you were 19, right? At the time, yeah, at I was 19, time, just about 20. Yeah. Right. At the time you're still like, all you're thinking about is hockey, right? Like totally. at the end of the day. So you're yeah. sitting there and you're, you're getting ready for your last year of junior trying to get a, a, a scholarship, but at, but you're laying there wrapped like a mummy and yeah. what's your headspace Like, what's your pain? Like, how are they managing your pain? Like, was there ever a time where they were trying to give you pain? Did, was that a part of your story? Like, I'm just always curious to, to like what happens there with, when people are in pain, because I, I really think it's a, we have to talk about this when, when yeah. you're in pain and doctors are quick to get painkillers. And obviously you're in an immense amount of pain, but sometimes they're over, you know, to, to the journey of painkillers can be, can be tough. So I just, I'm always curious to know. Yeah. Oh fuck. Yeah. Where There's do a lot of questions in there, buddy? No, no, I know. Like, I think I'm just trying to figure out where to start in terms of pain. Cause, oh man. Yeah. That was, uh, that whole year was filled with a lot of pain. So what, first of all, I didn't know I was in Vancouver. So I woke up really foggy the next day and just remember, you know, I don't know what the exact conversation I was chatting with my parents. And that's when I figured out I was in Vancouver. I was like, what the hell am I doing in Vancouver? And then it all kind of came back to me and I was like, oh shit. Right. And then the, uh, the first few days were pretty foggy. I don't remember a lot. Um, I was hopped up on morphine, obviously, you know, that, that wheel just keeps turning every few minutes and keeps me at a baseline. Uh, but so for people that aren't from, I mean, so your dad would be familiar with this probably, but uh, I was chatting with a guy the other day and it sounds like it, it may be different now, but you got to remember this is almost 20 years ago. And so when I was in the burn unit, every third day you had to get debridement done, which is, uh, I, I told you in that car ride, I thought that was the pinnacle of pain. Uh, this would rival that for sure. I mean, you're not awake for it. You, you, you can't be. Um, so they basically, they lift, I mean, you got to remember, I can't move, so I'm, I'm bedridden. So they lift you up, place you on this like metal bed. There you go. Uh, so that was in Vernon before I got to Vancouver. So I woke up and my face was fully wrapped. So that was, you know, right before I went in the helicopter. And uh, 
so yeah, every third day you go into this debridement procedure and what they do is, is twofold. One, they, so those third degree burns, that scar tissue starts forming really fast and there's a lot of trauma there. You know, you burn through everything, nerves, uh, you know, it, mine were really deep third degree burns. So you're talking about sweat glands, nerves, everything gone. And so scar tissue and the blisters, just the pressure that mounts there is so high that what they have to essentially cut you open and relieve that pressure and let that shit and pus get out of there. Uh, so that's what they're doing when they're putting you to sleep on this. I remember getting wheeled in. It's like a human car wash. And, you know, obviously, again, they put me out. So that was the one procedure. And the other was like, uh, basic, bas they basically pressure wash you. So they just slough off. Once they cut you open, they slough off all that skin. Uh, so coming out of those procedures, the pain was, it was bad. The morphine didn't touch that pain. No. And so I just remember like for, you know, two, three, four hours, you just kind of like tried to find some place in your mind, you know, that, to cope with it and just I was just you just hum and like you couldn't sleep and mm. you just like teetering on the line of sleep but devastating pain it's I, that's the best I can explain it but I, I don't want to compare it because that sounds a lot worse but going through withdrawals from opiates is is sort of similar where you're in immense pain and you're sort of you can't sleep yeah. all you want to do is sleep to escape from the pain and it's just so horrible um, oh, I don't doubt it. I mean, I've, I haven't had that to that degree, obviously. But I mean, I had definite definite dependency on morphine after six weeks. I was, yeah, yeah I don't, not to the same degree, but um, I think I got a taste of that. But plus, yeah. so that's way worse. Well, <laughs> you know? I don't think we, we don't need to compare. I mean, no, yeah. but, but I'm just trying to think, man, like I'm trying to think of where, you know, there's pain. We're talking about physical pain, but what about the emotional right. pain? What about the emotional yeah. pain that you're 19 years old sitting there? Essentially, the doctors told you, you're probably never going to play hockey again. Right. Well, and that, that, in, that in itself is enough to push, push people over the edge. So I, I'm kind of familiar, but I would love to hear more about how you kind of developed doing that. You kind of just alluded to that, taking your place to a, uh, yeah. your mind to a different place. You're talking about visualizing. You're talking about, tell us a little bit about that, the conversation with the doctor, where your mental health was at, where your emotional pain was at, and how you were yeah. able to keep fighting, dude. Like literally yeah. keep fighting to, to say, hey, I'm going to play hockey again. Hey, I'm going to, you know, all that stuff. Because that's really to me where it's like, holy shit. Like that's the, that's the meat of the story where like people see that there's other people who go through things and they're like, Hey man, if he could do it, I can do it. So. Yeah. 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 And that's, that's sort of the progression of the story where, so after I have this first debridement procedure, I come out of that. And again, in the pains at, you know, 10, like maxed, and I'm trying to have this conversation with the doctor. So this is when we know, okay, he's 40% second, third degree burns. And so the doctor comes in, he relays this because he, the first three days, they didn't really know, you don't, they don't, no one got a good look at me yet. Right. So again, in my head, like you said, I'm, I'm just trying to get a scholarship. That was my NHL. I never thought about pro hockey. I scored one goal first year junior A and I just snuck in. Like I, I didn't talk to any major junior teams. I had no reason to think there was life after, you know, junior or college. Uh, that was my NHL. And uh, so I asked the doctor, I'm like, 
obviously in pain, but I'm like, Hey, we have camp in, in whatever, three or four months. What does that look like? And I'll never forget the look on his face. And he just froze. And it was the look of this poor kid thinks he's going to play hockey in a few months. And uh, he just said, listen, these recoveries take years, not months. He's like, you're going to be in here for a while. You're going to need some serious grafting done. And we'll look at getting you, you know, in a pair of skates in a non-competitive environment, you know, a couple of years down the road, but it's going to be a long road to recovery. Let's just, I want you just to focus on rest and pain management. And that's, that was that. And so for me, my career was over. And so to go back to, to how I was dealing with it, it was uh, my first two weeks in the burn unit. It, it was this mixed emotion of, I mean, aside from the pain, but the physical pain, a mixed emotion of, on one hand, I was very thankful that I was going to make a full recovery. It could have been a lot worse. I mean, it could have been the ultimate worst and, you know, I could not be around. Uh, my face wasn't going to be permanently scarred and I was going to make a full recovery. And so there was some solace in that. Uh, on the other hand, you know, again, you talk about that identity and the rugs just ripped right out from under you. And so now I'm not a hockey player. What the hell am I going to do with the rest of my life now? That's all I've known, Right. And so that was my first two weeks. And, and so you talk about, you know, at what point did I flip that or start visualizing? And, and so this is, the you know, where the, I guess you could say the story gets good. And I really went on this journey. So I got a call two weeks into my stay from my coach in Vernon. And he said, you know, sorry, obviously, you know, how you doing? Sorry to hear what happened. So he actually came and saw me the first night, but I obviously don't, I don't remember. And, you know, he, so he said, I was just talking with the coach from one of the assistant coaches from Brown university and they will, they're looking for, you know, a player that can crash and bang and, and kill penalties. And his exact words were, we want a, a guy to put the fear of God in the defenseman of the Ivy league. And <laughs> so my coach is like, well, I got the perfect guy for you. Uh, there's just one problem, uh, you know, major problem. He's in the burn unit and he's burnt himself to a crisp and, so he said, you know, I, I try to find a little bit of humor in the situation. And my coach is like, I know you got the time, give him a call. And so my, my parents put the phone up to my ear after they take this Brown coach's uh, number down. So I, I talked to this coach from Brown and it was left super open-ended. And he just said, we're sorry to hear what happened. And, you know, we wish you the best in recovery. We'd love to, you know, maybe see you play down the road one day which was a formality knowing that like I have one more le year left and left of eligibility. I, I am playing in a few months here and I hung up the phone and I remember just getting super emotional and thinking like, I've worked my whole life to just, I hadn't talked to one of these guys yet. I'm, I'm almost 20 years old and I finally got the opportunity and look where I am and look what I've done to myself. And so that's when I just started, I started asking questions. I started asking why. So there was this big, long list of reasons why I couldn't play hockey. And there are very good reasons. Uh, you know, the main was an infection risk was really high with burns. So infection was the biggest. The skin grafts were going to be too limiting, too painful. I wouldn't be able to sweat from those grafted areas, which could have complications. If, you know, if you're talking close to 40%, that could have, you know, Again, major complications with heart rate. Uh, I was going to be in a full body suit for two years. Uh, 
And, you know, the list just kept going on and on and on. And I just remember, I, I just, I just kept thinking and then I just made a choice. I'm like, they, those aren't good enough reasons for me. Like, if you're telling me it's going to hurt, it can't be worse than what I've gone through. And I mean, that was a little bit naive thinking with what the journey actually looked like after that. But, um, and then again, like even with the infection, I'm like, I'll deal with that if, if that comes my way. And uh, I, I really just made a decision. I was willing to die before giving up on that. And that's when, you know, people ask me, how did you discover visualization or what led you to this? And this is exactly what I made a decision that, you know, I wasn't given up and I was going to go get a scholarship to play NCAA when I was told I wouldn't be able to. And I couldn't fucking move. So my mind was all I had. And all I did for the first two weeks was think about how shitty this reality was. And, you know, the pain, it was tough to think anything but pain, just when you're in that much physical pain. And I just flipped it all that day. And I, and from that day forward, I just, again, I visualized everything, everything I wanted to happen. I visualized healing faster, you know, even at a cellular level, like I had all day to think. And so I just developed this practice. You know, I visualized myself walking out of that hospital of the burn uh, in the burn unit. I visualized that home opener that fall. And then I ended it with that commitment letter to Brown. I just, would imagine signing that all day long. Um, and I just started reframing the pain, you know, and I, once I did that, it's fucking crazy that it's, I mean, it, it got better, you know, and I believe it. Yeah, it really did. The power of the mind is, is so incredible. It's, it's crazy. And yeah. I just want to, I just want to kindly just uh, quickly, sorry, quickly jump in here. Um, so at 19, prior to this burn, you were maybe hoping, like you're wanting, you're not even thinking about pro hockey. You're thinking, okay, I'd like to get an NCAA Div 1 Scully. Even at 19 prior, right? You're like, but, you know, even an NCAA Div 3 Scully would it be. It could have been Div 3. I would have been happy. Yeah. That's all you're thinking. Then you get burned yeah. terribly. And then you, you, you come back and then, you know, you do all of this work and then you get to your place to come back. And what does it feel like when you sign that, that letter, you know, of commitment to Brown university, where in your final year you were the captain? Yeah, yeah, man. It was, uh, I, I'll try and shorten up the journey for the sake of the podcast, but obviously, you know, the book has it all, uh, the doctors are right. I should not have been playing hockey. Um, so I got out of that hospital way sooner than, than I was supposed to. Um, you know, in thanks to this visualization practice, I believe that. And I know that. And so the problem was, is I had this, my body was fighting back that whole summer. You know, it was basically like, what the hell are you doing, man? We need to try and heal from this major surgery. And I got kidney stones the next day. I was back in the hospital. I had an appendectomy a week before camp where they actually had to cut through my skin graft to get the appendix out uh, again a week before camp. So I had all the reasons to quit. You want to talk about setbacks and I mean, just again, the physical pain that came with that. Uh, this is when you could get shot up with any painkiller you wanted. So I was on like Toradol, cortisone, just so I could play like, I was on crutches coming to and from the rink so I could play. 
<clears throat> but again, you got to remember my mindset was like, shoot me before I stop or give up. Right. And if those were options for me to help me play, then I would, I use that. And again, times were way different then. Right. And I hop in and ask you quickly, would you, yeah. would you do that all over again? Yeah, I would do that again. I think, yeah. um, now that being said, I know guys that abuse, abuse isn't the right word because again, we're just not maybe educated fully on that, but, uh, that use those that have major health issues currently. Uh, well, a couple of them have been on this show, right? Yeah. Maybe not your buddies, but I've had a couple on this show. Right. So that's why I asked you. So, I mean, if you were to tell me if I had like a disease from it, then I might feel differently. Now this only lasted, uh, a couple months really. Um, also Patty, I think about, so you're here, like at some point in time, once you starting to recover, you gotta, did you ever stop and think like, okay. I just got lit. Like I was just on fire. I was just in the burn unit. I just went through the worst pain ever. I can, I can get through anything. And like, and when you get to pro hockey, which we're kind of skipping ahead, it's like, I'm not scared of that guy. I'm not scared of getting punched in the face by that guy. I just was lit on fire. I know I could fight. Like did that, did that ever start to play a part where like it actually going through this as horrible as it was, it actually was instrumental in you getting to Brown to the NHL. Like, cause those were sort of like, you're thinking not even pro hockey, let alone the show. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, I, I tell everyone this, I would have never made it to the NHL without this accident. Um, because that's what led me to this, the power of the mind and the visualization piece. And like you said, you know, again, yeah, we're skipping ahead to Brown. Um, but I was like, man, if I can, if I can do that, why can't I go play in the NHL? And so I guess that'll, that kind of segues nicely into that. So I was ho- rewind back to the Vernon Vipers Sorry. that next, no, 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 it's all good, man. And so again, I was holding on by a thread. Brown finally comes to watch me play. And so that's why if, if you looked at my stats, my last year junior, I only played 20 something games. And, and this was why is because I was holding on by a thread. I, I wouldn't have made it the whole season. Um, and thankfully, you know, they offered me a scholarship, you know, in November that year. And, and then I stopped playing and, and finally went back to rehab and tried to get better. And, uh, and so once I got to Brown, like you got to remember that was my NHL and that was it for me. So I got to Brown and, and the mindset and the visualization went out the window because I was just young and naive and like, I didn't know any better to think, Hey, if I can do that, what else can I do? So my first three years at Brown where I just, I just had a blast being a U.S. college athlete and, you know, I worked my ass off, don't get me wrong, but again, that was it for me. I had achieved what I set out to do. So I think that's an important takeaway too, is just, you know, you never know. And I was 24 years old in my junior year. Again, never thought about pro hockey. And my, my assistant coach came up to me and pulled me aside. And he said, Hey, you ever thought about playing pro hockey? And I, I laughed in his face and I said, no, <laughs> I've literally never thought about it. Like I was doing pre-med and I was going to go get involved in maybe sports science or, or something like that, or maybe be a doctor. Like that's where I was going. And he said, I really think, you know, if you worked on your game, you could have a solid five, 10 year career in the American league. And, you know, I've, I've never seen anyone hit like you can hit, like you just add a little, a few elements to your game 
maybe even get a shot in the show one day. And I thought, holy shit, like, thank you. And that was kind of it. And I went home that night. And that's when I thought back to the burn injury. And I'm like, I just started thinking, I'm like, man, if I can do that, why can't I go play in the NHL? And so again, I made a decision. And I think there's a lot of power in, in choice and just making a choice. And like a fork in the road, I feel like these moments in the burn unit and then this one after my junior year, I could have just been like, okay, cool. Thanks, man. And just see how it goes. But no, like there was a fork in the road and I could like, I could have done that, which would have been the easy road, but I was like, no, I'm going to do this. And I made a choice. I said, I'm going to play in, in the NHL that day. I made a choice. And how I was going to do that is I had to go back to that, the visualization piece. And I just became obsessed. I became so obsessed. And you talk about visualization and I started learning and developing this practice where I started almost living in a, a different reality. Like I would paint this, create this experience in my mind where like I had already played in the NHL hundreds and maybe thousands of times before it actually happened. So you want to talk about like manifestation and all that stuff. Like I lived it, man. And uh, it's real. It's not some, I mean, science, science proves this, man. I'm not the only one. And it's cool because I got to learn about this stuff at Brown too. So I was like, wow, like it just, my mind was blown. And again, you go look at my stats and you'll find like a lot of people think like, oh, he just figured it out his senior year at Brown. Like, no, there's a lot more to it than that. And yeah, I mean, to fast forward, I, I mean, in six months, I went from no one in the NHL knowing who I was to being probably a top five, maybe top three free agent in the whole NCAA in six months. And uh, that's because of the visualization and, and the mindset. And that allowed me to just, I was obsessed. And I knew, I just knew I was going to make it happen. And again, that all goes back to the burn injury. And, and that gave me a superpower. It really did. And I think that's, a you know, an important message that you might be in the shit. And I think you can relate to this, right? You, you might be in the shit. And I guarantee you, if you're able to reframe that and just trust a little bit in the journey, and that's where the visualization piece really helps is trusting in that journey. You're going to look back one day and be thankful for that time. And I know it sounds might sound messed up, but I think you can probably relate where like the appreciation that comes with that of when you get to where you're going, it's uh, it's it might be the best feeling in the world. I, right? I couldn't agree more. What I'm trying to work on is trying to enjoy the journey a little bit more like yeah, every yeah. day versus looking back at it and being like, you know what? Like even in the hard times, like I, I tell people all the time, I'm grateful that I went to jail. I'm grateful that I was homeless on Hastings because I have that experience though. Maybe it's not for everybody. I'm now in a position where I can use that to maybe help people or do something. So I'm really grateful for that. But certainly in that time, just, you know, to wake up every day and realize that we have the gift of life. I mean, mm -hmm. too many people take that for granted, but I want how much time, how much time do you have? Oh, I'm good. I got like 30 more minutes. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, I, you talk about um, manifestation and like it, I've never been like more certain of it in my life. And I'm looking at your elite prospects. I tried to pull it up, but my computer got leggy there. So I just took <laughs> it down. But Probably too many zeros that fucked your computer up. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm looking at it, right? And it's it goes, brown. you're talking about three years at Brown, 
no aspirations of playing hockey, like pro hockey. Don't even believe it can happen. Coach says, hey, maybe you can or you can. And then you make that decision. And you go yeah. from, you go, you have your one, you have a good year as a captain at Brown. And the next year, you're playing for the Vancouver Canucks and they go all the way in the Stanley Cup final. Like that's, it's unbelievable. Yeah, it was honestly wild. And then like, you want to talk about manifestation. Like, then I naturally thought back to my childhood and like, I pretended I was those guys my whole life. I mean, again, like I, do you dream about playing in the NHL? Yeah, of course, when you're a young kid, but I didn't think about it when I'm like 14 to 20 because like I, I wasn't that good so yeah. I didn't want to be naive and I so I knew it wasn't really going to happen but and but then I just you. think <laughs> right and then I think about like man I went from the burn unit to Vancouver at you know I got out of there at 20 years old and the, the NHL was the farthest thing in my world and then five years later I'm I'm one of them like it's just I'm like have I been manifesting this and I didn't even know it you know, or the journey was always, and I like to think that, like, I believe we all have, uh, you know, a map set out for us. And, you know, a lot of us either don't discover the map, yeah, or, or we don't believe that it exists. Right. And if, if we don't believe, you know, we just haven't found it yet, or we don't trust in that. And you talk about trusting the journey. Um, and then I like to say that there's there's signs along the way. Oh yeah, and and I've had these signs, and though you know you can listen or you cannot, and that's exactly uh, that's exactly what I mean. You're, with, you're speaking my language. I get excited over this. Yeah. Shit. Let's go, right? And so I, you talk about this chat I have with the assistant coach, and again, that's a that was a sign, and that was a little you know it was a little dangle of saying, hey hey dummy, you might be able to do something pretty cool here. That's right. Right. And and I you listened. Paid attention. You but listened. I, but I could have just kept, you know, having fun at college and just see, roll the dice and see how it goes. I could have done that. And, you know, that would have looked, looked a lot different too. When I when I think back and I like talk and I, I think about the guys I, I grew up with and played against and um, guys that made it, right? Yeah. A lot of them. Some of them weren't the best, right? But they yeah. always said I'm going to play in the NHL. They didn't give a shit what anybody else thought. They would just say it. They would yeah. just say it. They would just say it. Everyone would, I, I I saw it happen. I saw people get laughed at and everything else. They're like, I don't give a shit. I'm going to play in the NHL. Yeah, man. Next, thing you, know, next thing you know, I'm like, that guy's yeah. playing in the NHL. I'm like, what yeah. the hell is going on? Because he trusted in the journey. You talk about the journey and like you see it, right? And your brain's listening to all those things you're saying, right? It's recording that. And it's programming it into the subconscious. So, and it knows if you're full of shit, if you say like, oh, I could do that. And deep down, you know, you can't. And it, your brain knows that, right? Where, you know, these guys that they live it and they believe it, you know, <laughs> they really truly believe that they're going yeah. there. And then you talk about, yeah, again, like the manifestation piece. And um, yeah, man, I like that whole senior year at Brown, again, you talk about living in that other reality, like, I was creating such a powerful experience that like I had already been there in my head, like I said, and then what happens, you go out in your day to day and you exude this energy and you act like it's happened. And therefore you, you attract those things back in the world. And that's, I mean, that's, a, that's what manifestation is, is that alignment of energy, right. Of where you want to go in the present day. Um, 
And so it's 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 honestly it's life changing, dude. Like I've been really like, is. Yeah. talking about, it, I've been really paying attention to in the last two three years. And you have to be careful, like you know what you say and what you put out there, good or bad, right? Like I'm very yes. very cautious about what because you can manifest some pretty bad shit too, real quick. Oh, yeah. Found out. So oh, being yeah. very con- conscious of that and and um. Yeah, man, this stuff, this stuff gets me excited. You're speaking my language right now. And um, yeah, I just love that this was a huge, this is how you were able to move through that. And I'm thinking like, holy shit, you're basically playing for your hometown team. You're from Revelstoke. It's the Canucks. Um, You you know, you score your first NHL goal. You're playing for a hometown team. You're playing in the, you know, for a team that goes to the Stanley Cup final. You have a pretty, you know, by all accounts, a very successful NHL career. Um, how was it before we jump out? I know we don't have that much time, but how was it once you got there for you? Um, and I know you fought a lot and all of that. I always got to ask, what was it like for yeah. you? It's stressful, right? Was it stressful? I don't know. I want to put words in your mouth, but I hated it. Yeah. Yeah, it was. I mean, I, so the first, you know, the first couple years, it didn't wear on me too much. Uh, you know, I was younger and, and I, again, I had that mindset from the burn unit and just that killer mentality and like fearlessness right and i definitely embodied that i think it it did creep in later for sure i I was actually listening to a podcast i can't remember who off the top of my head but they put it perfectly when you talk about fighting in the nhl and it's like imagine the bully the biggest bully in your high school comes over to you and says i'm taking you out to the playground later after school and so what do you do all day? You think about that guy and you think about, I'm going to have to fight this guy. Not that you're going to back down, but you know, you'd rather not. And you know, it, you might get hurt. And so that's what it's like fighting in the NHL. And, the, and you have 20,000 people watching you, mm. right? Another and so, hundred and something on TV, on TV too. And then all your so, buddies, everybody, right. It's yeah. So yeah, it definitely wore on me as time went on. And, and part of that came with injury where I'm like, you know, that's when, you know, after Rip and, and, and that summer we had, that really hit me hard because um, I grew close with Rip. And, and yeah, you, you might have him back there even, but yeah, dude. So I played, I played against him. He played when he was with the Regina Pats and yeah, I was yeah. Swift. I and a, so, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, like, after that, I really started thinking, you know, when I get my bell rung, then I, then I started, you know, thinking about, well, Oh shit, I got Ryan Reeves in three days and, and I'm still a little bit foggy. And I'm like, I'd rather not because I, I, I'm thinking about my health a little bit more. Right. So that definitely wore on me for sure. Um, but at the end of the day, like, yeah, that was part of the territory. And I, I think my point is, is that people just don't realize that it's not all, you know, sunshine and rainbows in that role. And yeah, you're playing in the NHL and you're living a dream and, for the most part, it was it was awesome, and and I would do it again for sure. But there was a lot of struggle there too, um, and that anxiety was real. And because I had that, you know, I was aware of my health, and I wanted to make sure I was you know in a decent spot after hockey. So yeah, it really after yeah like that summer was a big one. So I would say you know really after the lockout, especially when I got to wash, it started. I started thinking about it more for sure. Yeah, it's a it's a really tough tough spot to be in, and I it you know I never played any uh, regular season games in the NHL, but even just being in preseason and you know it 
I don't know. I still it just it's sort of surreal, and it's just like okay, well, this is this is it, and like it's amazing. But at the same time, there's I, I never really liked the way, and like in hindsight, looking back at it, I didn't know anything different. Mm. But that feeling, that anxiety, that sometimes you can feed off it, and I would play better because of it. But most of the time, for me, and and looking back at, it, I don't know why I was feeling like that. It was like this crazy nervous energy that I was carrying around it was like this fight or yeah. flight my whole life. Yeah. And now that I've been removed from it and doing that, and when it comes back, I'm like, "Ooh, I don't like this." And this is how I felt all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, "This is this is kind of this is kind of crazy." To be honest, it feels like it, anyways. Yeah. Um, tell tell me a little bit more about you. You mentioned it right off the hop. Um, life after hockey, and and sort of what that what that was like for you, as much or as little details you want as we know. Um, you know, it's a struggle for so many. I know. Yeah. I know countless guys who are really, really struggling right now. Some homeless, some in jail. Yeah. Um, it happens. Yeah, man, it's tough. It's, uh, I think for me, you know, going from life in hockey. So from the, you know, as a, even as a young kid, but like really at that burn injury right through the NHL, it was a lot of physical and mental adversity after hockey was, you know, more the spiritual, emotional adversity that, and with the help of talking to, you know, professionals, I've sort of had this realization where I'm like, I, I, you know, I'm in my mid thirties and I'm really just a young, immature, immature boy in that emotional, spiritual sense. And, and I think that's, you know, you know, with the hockey climate now, like, I mean, for, I, even at a grassroots school level, like there needs to be more education on that, the emotional and spiritual side of of mental health in general i think right because i didn't know how to cope with the shit that hit me after hockey even you know, even after this crazy trauma and i was able, able to overcome all that you know emotionally and spiritually i wasn't mature and i didn't know and so so i had a career-ending neck injury so i was i had a spinal fusion surgery and then yeah then it just it just ended like that and it was all over and then i had to go back to you know, okay, well, I'm not a hockey player anymore. And now my identity has gone, that rug gets pulled out from under you. And at the same time, you know, within the span of like a year, a couple of years, you know, I had, I had that identity crisis. I was going through a divorce. You know, my dad got diagnosed with ALS. I was drinking too much. Uh, I was just, I was lost. I, I hit rock bottom after a few years and was in a job I didn't like. And, you're just trying to navigate this world and i'm like man two years ago i was like playing in the nhl and had no cares in the world like what happened and it's a tough realization and and i had you have a lot of guilt you're like i don't why should i don't shouldn't feel this way and you beat yourself up and then you drink more and you wallow in that right and and you just get sucked down and it's because it's easier to get sucked down it's harder to come out of it right and so i had that experience again, even with this, you know, this coming overcoming adversity earlier in life with the burn injury and stuff, and it still was a struggle. And uh, so, I mean, that's a big part of, of my book in that second half of, of my life so far was, so as soon as I went back, so I had a day where, again, my life changed. I had another fork in the road where I remember I was super hungover, and I'm at rock bottom and my son was two at the time. And, and he's, 
you know, I had him for a couple of days. He comes over to my house and I just remember I put on a show for him because I was just hung over. And mm. I just had this moment where I like went down to lay in bed and I got up to go get a drink of water. And I remember thinking like, I told myself I would never be that guy. I would never be that dad. And, and I just had this huge light bulb where, again, like you talk about the power of choice. I made a choice that day and I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. And, uh, and I had to go back to what I knew. And that was, again, the mind and the visualization piece. And I, I just, I unshackled myself from getting that sucked down into that, you know, that gutter of hell really, and just started visualizing what I wanted. And, and then everything changed again. It really did. And, uh, and I'm here today, man. And it's, it's been a wild ride, but it all came down to this. And that's why I'm so passionate about teaching the visualization piece. And yeah. I mean, you know, obviously performance and it made a massive difference in, in my performance with hockey, but like, I feel like we're talking like real life shit here. And this yeah. is stuff that's like, so this got me out of the, out of the burn unit and I was able to come back and play hockey because of this practice. But like, it also saved my life after hockey, um, which is, you know, I think the real important piece here. So quick yeah I, I know you probably gotta go here but quickly tell people i'm gonna i'm gonna uh throw up if you're watching live too you can uh you can check it out uh aaronvillepatty.com at aaronvillepatty uh on instagram uh, and um tell us a little bit more quickly before you go about kind of what you're doing with the visualization because that's sort of the direction you've taken your life and i'm so it, it's always brings me a lot of joy to see people find like fall into something that is passion yeah. for them and their purpose and I, I find that when we leave the game of hockey whenever that may be i think all of us are lost like what the hell do we do i don't even know what i'm interested in because all i did was hockey yeah. And there is that piece of like trying to find and and you've been able to find that. And in doing that, you're going to help a lot of people. So kind of tell us how or how can people kind of uh, touch base with you? I think this is a huge tool um, for not just young hockey players or athletes, but people in general. Right. We talk. This is real life. This is real life. This isn't just athletes. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah. So I'm, on athletes. I don't know. Sorry. <laughs> no. So I, I work with athletes primarily and that's what my programs are developed for. That being said, you know, so I'm in the process of moving a lot of my stuff to online and living online to reach more people at the yeah. end of the day. Um, but yeah, I have to, I have a couple of visualization programs that are are you know developed again with through my experiences and and learning and education as well. And uh, yeah, and then obviously this book has been a major part of of obviously my story and my life now. And yeah, we've been on a crazy tour here promoting that. And it's, it's been really well received, which is, has been amazing. And yeah, I think the giving back to the burn fund was a big one that we, you know, quickly, I think you mentioned at the beginning, but uh, that was a big why too behind the book. And, and at the end of the day, just helping people. And I'm like, I can give back and, and make a difference and help. I mean, I always say the burn unit is, it's one of the most, amazing places in the world but it's it's also one of the most terrifying and those people that that work in there are they're very special people and it they're very devastating injuries and the recoveries are yeah they're they're very difficult and so that was a big part of it too but i mean that's a long-winded answer to i mean you can go to my website aaronvolpatty.com there's info on all this stuff and you can find more about these programs uh, more information on the book 
different speaking gigs and all that stuff. I, I do that as well. And um, to your point, I think the purpose is such an, an integral part of anything. And, you know, that was, again, the reason behind my obsession with the hockey stuff. And, you know, when you have that so deeply rooted, you know, you, you, you have that mindset, like, you know, in the time I said, I was willing to die before giving up because my purpose was so strong. I could, I wouldn't let go of that. And I found that now with this, and it took me a while after hockey to find that. And I think, you know, for everyone that that's struggling with, with finding that, I think the first step is knowing it's out there. Right. And you find it by kicking doors open and trying new things. Right. And, and once you find it, you know, you know that it's it's that's it, right? And so, yeah, I think it's been a long road, but I found I found it again, and and I think you you resonate with that, and I think it's it. it feels good, man. And I know, like, it sounds like you found that, and yeah, it's it's really it's, powerful stuff, dude. If I if I don't have it, if I don't have that purpose, uh, I don't know, I'm probably not alive here, right? Right. And it's something that I'm very grateful to have in my life, and I'm I'm so grateful that you have it, and you're out there. Uh, you know, inspiring people and helping people. And I can't wait to actually get my hands on a copy of the book. I was going to do the Kindle thing. I can't read on a phone. I just can't do it. Oh, I was going to do it. Um, but I, as soon as I get it, I'm going to read it and you'll be hearing from me. And I've, I've read the reviews of people and everyone's loving it. Amazon, I think, right? People can get, can get it on Amazon. Yeah. Yeah. AaronVolpatty.com. Um, how much... This is my last question for you. I think I've said that four times. I always do that. That's okay. How much is good. how much has this journey helped you by writing it and getting out there and shaking hands and probably giving hugs and doing interviews and you know you got to feel like maybe hey I'm I'm back a little bit right like it was like it's lonely yeah. there when you leave the game but now <laughs> you're you're back you're back in the game in a different way and and to me for me anyways as a coach and as a mentor like kind of what you're doing for me it means way more than any hockey career or individual oh, yeah. words so how much has it helped you i'd love to hear your kind of thoughts on that oh it's been it's been huge man i think you know the, the whole writing process was very therapeutic and yeah it was a little bit scary when i started that like i'm gonna have to really open up here and be vulnerable and i think it softened me up a little and and allowed me to get more in touch you know with who i really am and which has been really really cool and and empowering i think and uh, yeah, man, like you said, just I think in it, keeping involved in hockey has been really helpful, I think, too, in that community. And it's funny, like, you know, a few people have asked me, you know, do you get sick of talking about, I mean, to forget about like my story or anything, just hockey in general or asking questions about the time in the NHL. I'm like, no, man, like it, I like reliving those moments, you know, and it was a big part of my life and it. For me, I always get to reflect back to the burn injury and that journey to get there. And I mean, I'm really proud of that and what I was able to overcome. And so it, it's almost like a pinch pinch yourself moment, like a bit of a, hey, remember you did that thing. And if you can do that, man, like the sky's the limit. You can do anything. And so I have to, you know, we all need reminders of that. And I think for me, it's that that reminder of, oh yeah, like when, when shit gets hard, remember the, that thing you did right and uh so yeah it's been it's been really awesome and and the again just talking with people and hearing reviews in the book of how it like i feel like when people that message hits home and saying that you know my life's changed then that's the stuff you, you're talking about of 
you know, helping people, truly helping people, right? So, uh, listen, dude, I'm I'm gonna throw up a few comments before you got two minutes to go over some comments, but yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm I'm so proud of you, dude. Like, it's not easy. Like, it's, oh, likewise, it's man, not I, easy, man. And uh, you know, I think as you're finding out you, through through doing this, you, we at least for me, I can only speak for myself. I've also I love what you said. You're finding out who you really are. You know what yeah. I mean? Like what a great feeling that is. And I'm also, I'm always like kind of discovering new things about myself that were shut off. Cause I was so focused on hockey or yeah. being an addict for all those years. I never found out. So when I hear, hear you talk about that, that just brings like an absolute smile on my face. Uh, Assistant fire chief, Stuart Smith, also chairman of the board of puck sport nonprofit watching says, Aaron really appreciate you sharing your story. You said you hope to help just one person Set your sights higher. You will help many, but I think that's a, a great place to start. Uh, Susan Cook, your resilience and determination is to be commended. You are a true warrior. Michelle Miner uh, down there in Dunville says, what an incredibly moving story, Aaron. So glad that you were able to find your way through all the adversity and be here to tell us about your journey. Uh, hello to the Miner family down there, Michelle and Tom. Says from a former, what is it? Uh, Christopher Renaud says, from a former minor pro hockey player myself, respect. Uh, Dean Smeal, younger brother of Stan watching, says, oh, awesome, yeah. awesome listen. We got the Canucks are always repped here. Uh, and Michelle Alt, the last one we'll get to here, says, power of positive mindset and energy has helped during my health journey. And I totally believe in that. The universe is always listening. Yeah. Well, listen, oh, man. man. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much, guys. Go give them a follow on social media. C get your uh, book, Fighter Defying the NHL Odds, available on Amazon. And are you still doing book tours, signings and all that? Or is Yeah, so I wrapped up uh, until Christmas, and we're actually going to be at the Rockets game on January 6th uh, doing a, another fundraiser for the Burn Fund that day. Amazing. And I'm uh, pretty much confirmed for Winnipeg in uh i think january 21st so i'll update that on the website and, and i'll post about it but yeah well if we're you're up in the new year so yeah i'm looking forward to following your journey it's uh it's fun to watch man enjoy it and again man i'm so proud of you dude just uh you're gonna help a lot of people i'm sure you already have and i'm i guarantee there'll be a time at some point where we can hopefully collab on something or or chat yeah. if you ever need anything man hit me up i know you got a huge support network but you got one more here man yeah, absolutely, man. Thanks, Brady. I appreciate it. And, and hey, likewise to you, man. I, I love what you're doing. And yeah, your, your story's crazy too and, and incredible. <laughs> and just, yeah, I think it's really cool that we can come together and, and reflect back and help people, right? So yeah, props That's to you what too. what it's all about, dude. Yeah, Thank yeah. you so much. I really appreciate it. Go have fun at your kid's hockey. <laughs> yeah, I got to go bag skate them. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Take all right. care. You have a good night. Yeah, you too. That's awesome. That's uh former Vancouver Canuck, Washington Capital, Aaron Volpatti. What an incredible conversation. That's one of uh, my favorite ones I've done in a long time. Incredible human being, incredible story. AaronVolpatti.com at Aaron Volpatti. Fighter, defying the NHL odds. Go get your copy on Amazon. This episode is proudly brought to you by True Temper Hockey. The amazing people over there at True Hockey. Man, they've been incredible to me. They have incredible products. If you take a look in the NHL, just look at the goalies. Pretty much every goalie is, is repping True. 
so many guys wearing their skates, using their sticks. And um, yeah, just very grateful for their support. Check them out at True Temper Hockey on all social media platforms. My teeth are really whistling tonight. Does anybody else hear that? What happens when you have fake teeth? Anyways, we're going to hear quickly from Regan Bartell and Team Issued. I'm going to come back and wrap up this episode with a little bit of an update on my mental health. Hi there, it's Regan Bartell, the play-by-play voice of the Kelowna Rockets, Brady Leopold's biggest fan. Team Issued is connecting all walks of life. Team Issued does this by recreating that special feeling of being a part of something bigger. A community for all striving towards the same goal. Teamissued.ca, promo code TOEDRAG15 for 15% off. Thank you to Regan Bartell. What a voice. What a voice. Jesse Paradise, founder, CEO of Team Issued my former teammate, Kelowna Rocket teammate. He was my second guest ever, I think is what it was. So, just want to quickly chat. You know, we've been going an hour and nine minutes here. I don't really get on here and talk too much. I don't do a whole lot of updates, live videos like I used to. I'm a little bit more reserved. I'm still out there putting my life out there, but a little bit more reserved. I'm not going to lie. The struggle has been real lately, and uh, there's a number of things. I don't need to get into details. I think anyone close to me knows some of it, but I'll tell you, I just, the last month, been like today I feel the best I've felt in a long time. For the last month, I've felt like I've been falling apart. I've been, it's been hard for me to return messages, to even look at my phone, to pick up my phone and, and answer. Everything has felt so heavy for me and the other side of that is that i feel really guilty if i'm not getting back to people or if i know there's messages that i need to answer but man sometimes i feel like i can't even get out of bed i'm trying to be an advocate for mental health but shit i struggle every single day i don't have the answers i know what the answers are not at least for me, so I don't go down that road of using drugs or self-harm. Like, I'm not there, but the reality is, is my mind has not been in a great place at all. And that's just, I think, that's living with mental health, mental illness. And it's going to be something that I'm likely going to have to keep on top of for the rest of my life. And I'm be the first one to admit it here that you know, I'm pretty good at telling other people what to do, but I'm still not doing all of that stuff myself because it's hard. It's hard to tell people what's going on, but it's absolutely necessary. And, you know, in my experience, when I've been able to do that, you know, maybe things don't get better right away, but I find that Whenever I've talked about anything that's going on, it makes it so much easier and I feel so much lighter. And I think that's why I'm feeling better today than I have in a month. I'm not trying to hide it from everybody. I'm not, you know, post stories and be like, yeah, I'm battling. But 
never really told anybody what was going on. Right. And so I've been able to do that. And I don't, it's really hard for me to do that. It's easy for me to talk. Hey, this is what you should do. It's another story when it comes down to doing it. And I don't know why I'm still having such a hard time knowing full well that when I'm able to do that, speak my truth and talk about how I'm feeling, that it's a much better outcome. There's also people out there that, oh man, they're legit trying to basically tear down what I'm doing. I was told not to talk about this, but you guys know me. I'll just talk. You know, people trying to say this or that, that I'm doing this for this reason or that reason or whatever. There is absolutely no reason in the world other than the fact that I legit started doing all of this just to help people. And for really once in my life, from the moment that started, I've always just had nothing but the best of intentions. I've made mistakes in the last three years. I haven't you know, been able to handle everything the way that I would have liked to. But I was also have been rebuilding my life from literally hell. And there's a few people out there that forget that I was in a jail cell three years ago and that I'm really just treading water have been for the last three years since I started all of this and it's just a really shitty feeling when there's people out there and I know people everyone deals with this I'm not special by any means but when people just want to hate or they're jealous or they're this or they're that and on top of that these people are you know quote unquote mental health advocates and mental health professionals in fact and I think it comes down to this if you're hating on somebody or secretly wanting somebody to fail because you're envious I don't know what it is instead of you know spending that energy and I shouldn't even be spending the energy talking about this right now. But instead of that, spending that energy hating or trying to ruin something for somebody else or, you know, you know, finding a way to whatever. How about you just spend that time trying to do something good, especially if you're a mental health professional or a mental health advocate. Why don't you go out and help people do something? I don't know. I'm torn. I'm not going to get into the details, but today was a pretty tough day getting a phone call. Um with some details where there's people just like lying and it's just like, what are we doing here? I just, I don't know. So there's a lot going on, but at the end of the day, I'm in a much better place today than I was yesterday. And certainly when I, where I was three years ago. So I know there's people that are messaging me. They're a little bit worried, but I'm okay. You know, and I'm going to continue to, work on myself. And the only reason I talk about myself here is to hopefully get other people to relate by hearing me speak. Cause I don't want to be like you, 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 you. I don't like when people do that and they're talking to the screen and telling people what to do. You, I don't do that. I really try not to do that. So I speak on my experience, but I am consciously going to continue to work on how I handle my mental health struggles because I'm I've not been doing a good enough job. I've not been talking about it. Uh, you know, oftentimes I sit by myself and try to, you know, 
power through it or I just go crawl into bed and turn off for four or five hours and have a nap. Like that's not healthy. There's also days when I do a much better job at it. But to think that we have to fight alone is absolutely ludicrous. Anyways, the last thing, probably not the last thing actually that I'm going to say, if you follow me on social media, you may have seen my myself and my, my good friend, new friend, but good friend, DJ McGrath, who was just out here, been on the show. He was here live last week, did a little cameo. We did a video about our friend. And I'll drop his name on the show. It's it's Landon Curry. He's opened the show. He was me for Halloween. Lando Snipe 17 on Instagram. Sorry, Lando, for but you've they've commented on my video, so I think everybody knows. He was essentially cut from the triple A team and double A team, where he'd been playing triple A. He's been used to being on the ice every single day. He was cut from the teams, which was devastating enough. So he was playing house hockey down to one practice, one game a week. And there's a, an unsanctioned league called the Ontario Rec Hockey League, which isn't sanctioned by Hockey Canada and Ontario, the Ontario Minor Hockey Association. And so there's these rules in place where if you play in uh, an unsanctioned league and you try to come back, then you're not allowed to play. And this is a 12-year-old boy we're talking about. He just wanted to go for extra ice because now instead of being on the ice five, six days a week, He's down to one game, one practice. And though he was cut from AAA, he still has the aspirations of being an elite hockey player. He loves the game. He loves to be on the ice. This is a young boy who, you know, he's been open about some of his uh, mental health struggles on Instagram um, bravely. I think he's talked about it on this show too. Sorry, Lando, but, you know, your courage to share is just incredible. And hockey is his outlet. And so they went to go play in this game, this unsanctioned game. And when he came back, he's now being told that he can no longer play minor hockey this year for his local house league team. It's not even like he went and he's playing AAA and went to a different league. He went from house league to a to a rec hockey league just for extra ice. One of the responses was, you should have been paying a skills coach. Does anybody have any idea how much it costs to hire a skills coach? I am a skills coach. And I'll tell you, it's not cheap. It's not cheap. And some of the coaches are charging an astronomical amount of money. Parents simply can't afford that. Parents are losing their houses, mortgaging their houses, uh, you know, racking up their credit cards. And this is such a common theme. Just trying to, to keep up with the training. Lando was offered free ice. He didn't have to pay to go play and, and the odd practice just for extra ice. And now he can't even play at all because there's no spot on the Ontario Rec Hockey League. It was just a drop in here and there. And now he can't play for his local hockey team. At what point in time does this stop, you know, being about hockey and being about power control and money? I'm not done with this. I'm going to continue to talk about this. I've been struggling, so I haven't been keeping up and, and doing all the things that I want to do, even with my Movember campaign and everything. I've been struggling. But I'm going to fight for Lando and I'm going to fight for all those other young kids who have gone through something similar because I've gotten multiple messages about this. And I've reached out to some of my contacts in the media, some of the best hockey writers in the world, and they want to listen. Like, we're talking about a kid's mental health, 12 years old. All he, 
all he wants to do is play hockey. You know, he's being told that he can't play. It's because he went to go play one game outside of an unsanctioned Hockey Canada, uh, Ontario Minor Hockey Association game. Because why? They didn't get the payment for it? Like, I, I don't know. Something's got to change here. And it's not, I just would love to hear people's opinions on this. If you haven't seen the social media video, go check it out on my Instagram, me and DJ McGrath on there. Give you a little bit more details. But holy shit, like, what are we doing here? Like, who, at, at what point in time are we going to look at this and be like, this is so wrong? We have a kid that's sitting out who's struggling with mental health, who can no longer play because he just wanted to go play a game outside. What is the difference between that and spring and summer tournaments that aren't sanctioned by Hockey Canada? Somebody tell me. You go play in these spring tournaments, the Challenge Cup, the this, the that, the, all these tournaments that aren't Hockey Canada spring, summer. But you do this, and that's not okay. Like I, I'm, I'm, I'm out of my mind here. Like I, I don't, I'm not sure what the answer is, but I'm not. I'm going to continue to fight for Lando and all those kids. Thank you to Aaron Volpatti, fighter defying the NHL odds. Available, Amazon, AaronVolpatti.com at Aaron Volpatti. This episode is proudly brought to you by Puck Support, PuckSupport.com and the Puck Support Network. It's almost Christmas. We've had a lot of orders. Susan Cook watching from all the way upstairs has been hard in the workshop. She's been doing 99% of the work in the last month. We really appreciate her and all she's done, not just for me, but for puck support and everything because keeping it alive. But if you want to get some merch for Christmas, got to do it by December the 10th is our cutoff to like guarantee it for Christmas. You can use the promo code CHRISTMAS. It's going to save you 15% off. Sweaters like this. It's okay to be not okay. Mental health over hockey. Always paying tribute to those we have lost in my sweater tonight. Daniel Miner. I know the Miner family is watching. I love you guys. If you're struggling, as I alluded to earlier, you're not alone. I know what it feels like to be alone. Holy shit. I could be in a room with 500 people. I could, like, for example, I was speaking at North Bay or Nipissing University in North Bay a couple weeks ago. A couple hundred people in the room. And man, did I feel lonely. So I know what it's like to be in a room full of people and still feel like you're alone. And I also know what it feels like to think like, holy shit, if I, if I tell somebody what's going on with me, well, it's the worst thing we can do. And that's what I did for the last month. And it honestly took me sitting here talking about it right now to really have a, a greater understanding of how much it's affected my life. And how much of it is just complete nonsense where I don't have to sit and stew and fight on my own. I have 
incredible people around me, which I'm very grateful for. And I think we all do. Even if it's just one person that you have, utilize your friends. Friends, check in on your friends. If you know something's not right, I appreciate everybody checking in on me. I know Elaine Sterk is watching right now. She was calling me right before the show, but I was getting ready. Sorry, Elaine. But check in on your people. If someone you know is struggling, right, it's okay. If someone in your family is struggling, it's okay to, to let other people in. Boy, is it ever to let it, boy, is it ever okay to let other people in. Sometimes it's absolutely necessary. We got a couple big shows lined up for you. I know Sam Gagne is going to stop by in the next week or two. Brings tears to my eyes, that human. I'm telling you, that guy changed my life. And uh, obviously having a tremendous year with the Winnipeg Jets, but he's become a good friend. Uh, really looking forward to getting him on here. What he did for me this summer is life-changing life-changing so i'll you know really owe him a a huge thank you and and really just want to get him on here because he's such an awesome guy so he's coming on soon uh drawing blanks now but we got some big shows coming up some current nhl guys i think yeah it's gonna be uh it's gonna be a good month also looks like i may be coming home to british columbia sometime in the first week of december so anybody listening or watching, if there's any chance for me to get on the ice or if there's an opportunity for me to speak out in BC, first week of December-ish, send me an email, Brady at PuckSupport.com. If you've sent me an email to my DM on any of my social media accounts, the chances are I probably haven't seen it and I apologize. Email is the best way. And even then... Anyone else can relate to spam? Holy hell. Spam it up. Sign up for these things and then they sell your information. I got, oh, it's unbelievable. You guys know what I'm talking about. I think we all go through that. Okay. I think that's it. I think that's all. I think I'm actually done. Thank you for watching. Uh, please press that like subscribe turn on notifications share it with your friends really really appreciate you guys i love you all honestly you know some days it's tough and i'm not thinking about you know just how lucky i am to to be alive and and to have the life that i have and, and have the people in my life directly indirectly you know messages every day from people that i haven't even met like it means so much to me and you know there's some days where i'm so in my own head I'm thinking like, I'm not, you know, I'm not worth any of these messages, you know, all this stuff because you know, I'm still in a sense, my own worst enemy. And maybe people can relate to that, you know, but you know, underneath all of that, you guys are what keep me going honestly, every single day. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hello to my family out there in BC, especially my daughter, Brooklyn, my son, Brody, who I hope to see very, very soon. Whew. 
Anyways, that's all. We'll see you next Monday, 8 p.m. Eastern with maybe Sam Gagne. Might be another night. Got to check the schedule, but we're making it happen. Have an amazing night. Be kind. Stay grateful as much as you can. If you're living right now, you're breathing. How freaking cool is that? How lucky are we? I love it. I, I When I think about it, just the endless possibilities that life has for us. And when you think about it, if you really want something, talk about Aaron Volpatti, talk about manifestation. Visualize it, see it, feel it before you can even feel it. I tell you, I've done a lot of that and anyone close to me has seen it. It's, inc it's incredible. It's actually amazing. It's actually unbelievable. If you would have told me all that stuff, I wouldn't have given it time of day. I mean, that person who's talking like that is out of their mind. But let me tell you, manifestation, manifestation. Let's go. See you guys all next Monday. 8 p.m. Eastern. Until then, have a great day. If you so choose. Hockey was my life, rookie of the year. Swift as a Bronco, they up in my gear. Last the pain when insane, yearning for that buzz. Of your journey through the depths of hell Criminal fentanyl, I struggled, I fell Abused, confused, as the shadow of who I once was Can't sleep, rest as weak Don't know neither remedy I need to get my life here back on track Used to toe drag him like Wayne Gretzky And now I'm toe-tending homeless on Hastings Intervenous drugs weren't in the gang notes The wrong kind of how to ride the lightning Sideboard ignored hot and fried Hockey to hell and back was my recovery road Can't sleep, restless week. Up all night, adrenaline heat. I need to get my life here back on track. Emotions drained, I can't stop crying. Except my reflection, no sense lying. My inspiration's talking and back. Mental health over hockey. Gotta get people talking. Ignite the chain up again. It is real, but the soul is lost. Became changers from my former convictions. Now I live for the fuck addiction. I got honest to honor the ones we lost. 
finally doing what I'm meant to do. Strap on your blade. 